Lord, how long? That seems to uh, be the song for our building project update. Uh, if you missed that last week, um, that's, that's an important update. As mentioned in the, in the bulletin, uh, there's information on the Next Step wall about that. Um, how long, O oh Lord, in crying out, come, Lord Jesus. We, we have been waiting for his coming. Our church has been waiting for his coming 160 years now. 160 years that we continue in his steadfast love. There's an anniversary picnic coming up. There's information about that in your bulletin as well. And, but there's something missing in your bulletins this morning. Did you catch it? There's no card. There's no communication card in the bulletin. What's with that? Well, because many of you already have BP Connect, and your communication card is right there. You can use that. You can use that app to send in a prayer request, not only on Sunday morning, but at any time during the week when you want others to, to call upon the Lord with you in the midst of a situation or circumstances. Now, if, if apps are just not your thing, or if you'd like a link, a clever little uh, QR code link to that BP Connect app, there is a communication card, and it is in the pocket of the bench in front of you. Right there, I don't know if they cleverly put them right behind the offering envelope, but there they are. But you can see them there. Uh, you can use that card as well and just fill out information or a, a prayer request and drop that in the offering box at the back doors or over here at the side um, as you go out this morning. So a new way of doing things, communication cards, we won't print a whole bunch of them, and a lot of them don't get used. We will have them in the, in the pockets every Sunday for you, available to you, and also on the app. As we sing, How Long, O Lord, the line that comes from this Psalm 13, is that, could that be a, a, an expression of frustrated Impatience? Or is that, or is how long, O oh Lord, how long, an expression of, of hope, of hope and confidence that leads actually to contentment rather than impatience? A contented waiting, knowing we're not there yet, but we'll trust Him as we get there. What is contentment? One dictionary defines contentment as being satisfied with things as they are. Well, that's good as far as it goes. That's a very basic definition, but I think there's something lacking. That could just be a, well, whatever is whatever. Uh, um, it is what it is. Is that contentment, though, or is that merely resignation? Even a sense of fatalism. Today, it's rare that we find anyone who's truly content with their condition in life. Yet the Bible has a lot to say about contentment. We do long for things better, don't we? We're told to be content, and yet we long for things to be better. There's a bit of a tension there. Maybe a better definition is a satisfaction of the soul which is independent of circumstances because of dependence on God for what we have, who we are, where we are going. As I read that, I thought, I wish I had put that in your notes this morning because you wouldn't be sitting there. Would you say that again? Okay, I'll say it again. 
slower. A satisfaction independent of circumstances. You got that, Kathy? Because of dependence on God for what we have, who we are, and where we are going. Discontent, perhaps, comes out of not having a clear enough grasp of who we are, what we have, where we are going. Unsatisfied striving after something believes that just a little more will do, just a little more will be enough, just a little more, and then I would be content. Pursuing pleasure, status, wealth. It almost sounds like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it, where he concludes by chapter 5, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is empty or vanity or futility. It's striving after wind. Whoever has an RV, it's never big enough. Whoever has a boat, it's not long enough. Just a little, a few more feet, that would be the right-sized boat. Just a little bigger. Maybe it's a couple longing to have children, and yet several years later, still waiting. Maybe it's, a, it's that man or that woman who desires to be married to a godly spouse, and yet that's not their circumstance. And this might be true for those who are single also. At work, promotion might be based on other factors Instead of merit, somebody comes to you and says, you know, it should have been you. I'm sorry, you were cheated. Is your response, well, I guess the Lord must want me right here. Or is it, yeah, I got a raw deal. Contentment. When you're young, you want to go faster. When you're older, you want things to slow down a little bit. Can we be content in the present, or is it only in the future we keep chasing, or in the past that we yearn after? Contentment's hard. It's hard in our society because we're constantly bombarded with what we need to buy, what we ought to have, what it takes to be happy, what we deserve, what we are entitled to. You know, having a new car should be an Ecclesiastes because having a new car is vanity, is futility. You drive it off the lot and guess what? You don't have a new car. Most of us would rather be miserably rich than miserably poor. True? But what if we aimed not to be miserable? What if we got the wrong target? I would be happy if, fill in the blank, it's another way of saying I am not content. Psalm 16 has something to say about contentment. It has something to say about contentment even as it continues some of that expression, that call upon God in need that was echoed by Psalm 13, a few before it. It's a request for God's protection in the midst of needy circumstances. And that request is based on God's ongoing provision and his confidence in God's eternal preservation. Psalm 16 exhorts us to depend on God, content in God's provision, both for our present 
and for our future. I will call upon him. I can trust him. I depend upon him. It's a satisfied dependence on. A contentment in God's provision for our present, however he answers that prayer, and for our future. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 16. If you're using your, the uh, church Bible in front of you, you'll find us on page 453. Psalm 16, we'll read a couple of verses at a time as we, as we walk through it. Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Preserve me, O God. Watch over me. This is a call on God's protection, God's help in the midst of a serious threat David is being hunted. This, that, that watch over me, preserve me, that, that, that word is also used in 1 Samuel 19 when Saul sends some of his hitmen to watch David's home. They're watching for David to kill him, to take him. And so David calls on the Lord to watch over him, to protect him. He says, I have no good apart from you. The Lord is David's only source, and God's good is good to David. That's a profound statement. You are my only good, that God's good is true good. I can trust myself in his hands. God's good is good, even when in the moment this doesn't seem good. But all that God is doing, seen as a whole, will be good. God's redemption in the middle of this mess is not only good, it's a gloriously beautiful thing. The problem is we just see little bits of the whole when we're in the middle of those circumstances. You are my only good. I have no good apart from you. What good do we strive after? What good thing? The Lord will, will, will not withhold any good thing to those who, who, who trust him and love him. Yet, what good thing do we seek apart from God's ways? We seek our comfort. We seek security and wealth. We, we seek pleasure. This would satisfy me. Verse 3 and 4 contrast. Those who trust the Lord, who seek good in other ways by trusting other gods. Contrast those two. David is exiled, but he hasn't gone rogue. David is cut off from God's people, but he hasn't given up on God's people. He says, these, your people, the excellent ones, those who do trust you, the saints in the land, the, the, in, in them is all my delight. God, I love your people. Even when those people aren't faithful to him, even when those people at times would, David learns, would turn him into Saul. And yet... He is faithful to them. Maybe something about David being a man after God's own heart is he continues to be faithful to the people of Judah and Israel even when they would turn on him, if it would help them, if it would profit them. He remains true 
He remains true to them when they are not loyal to him, even as God remains true to his people. In contrast, there are those who trust idols, idols that David will not even name. They run to, they hasten, they're eager to go after them, but they bring sorrow rather than salvation. The sorrow of those, those who run after them will multiply. David instead calls on God for his protection. He calls on God because he knows he can trust himself to God. He has experienced, he has found contentment in trusting God, even in circumstances that we might wonder, really? Is that contentment? Look at verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. My cup runneth over, Psalm 23. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, a goodly inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. To be content in God's present provision, in, God, in the present circumstances that God has ordained and how he provides for us in the midst of those. This picture, my chosen portion, my lot, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. This is the picture of a fruitful field as an inheritance in which he prospers and his vineyard does well so that he can fill his cup and he can rest and enjoy the fruit of this good inheritance in a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the imagery that David is describing. Now, it's an interesting description it, 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 it refers to a place and a prosperity, a belonging and blessing. This is my lot. This is my inheritance. And I'm enjoying fruitfulness in it. It's a, a position that has a purpose. Reaping the benefits out of that land, out of that assigned lot, which will be passed down from, 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 from the um, head of the family to, to his sons and then to their sons. And if it's a hillside a portion, they would clear out terraces uh, generation by generation, increasing the farmable, arable land, making room for the future generations on that hillside. It's a beautiful picture. It just doesn't describe David's situation. David is, has had to flee from Saul. First, he hides with Samuel in the, in the school of the prophets. He hides in, a, in the cave of Adullam. He hides in the wilderness, which is a desert place. It's a hard scrabble place. It is not a place of fruitful fields and lush vineyards. And yet, David is content. He's content in his Lord rather than merely his circumstances. Speaking of contentment in the midst of circumstances, Paul tells Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy in the midst of a, of a metropolis, one of the most booming, bustling, prosperous, wealthy cities in first century Roman Empire. Timothy is the, is the younger man, now, now the, the, the pastor at the, of the church in Ephesus, and Paul reminds him that Godliness with contentment is gain, is profitable. 
to be content with food and shelter, not all the things the culture around you says that you need, that those desiring to be rich are going to fall into snares, into harm, into destruction. In that way, like I said, it's hard to be content in this, in this culture, in this environment, in this society. So much of our economy, you are no longer referred to even as citizens of America. You are referred to most generally, every time the population is described, how are we described? As consumers, needing more marketed to more, sold more. And the whole idea is to sow discontent. David is content in the wilderness because he finds satisfaction in his God. And he says, in the midst of a difficult time, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Paul said something similar in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 11 and 12. I think we put that up on the screen here. I'm not speaking of being in need. He's thanking them. This is a missionary prayer letter and includes a thank you for their continuing support of Paul. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do. And here's where that promise comes in. This is not a prosperity promise. I can do all things. I can do abundance or need. I can do all things. I can do plenty or I can do hunger through Christ who strengthens me and who went hungry for me, who experienced need and deprivation for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. That it is not wealth we pursue, but Christ. Anxious discontent, on the other hand, comes from fear rather than faith. Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, this is how David could be content in the wilderness. This is how you and I can be content in this wilderness. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake me, you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I can be content. David's lines presently don't seem so good or so pleasant. He's anointed as king, and yet he's banished from royal circles, and he hides in caves instead of a palace. He's hunted like an outlaw rather than cheered as the champion of Israel over the Philistines. His present lines don't seem so pleasant. I remember living in in Swaziland. We were, we were in Swaziland, our family together. We, we served with Transworld Radio um, for, for, for about seven years before we returned to the States, a couple of years, then we went back to South Africa after that. And those times in Swaziland, I remember coming home to the churches on furlough, and somebody in one of our churches just pulled me aside. He said, I, 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 I just want to say, say thank you. I admire you so much for the, how much you have sacrificed to go and to live. We've been showing our, our slides, what life in Swaziland looks like. He said, thank you for all you've given us up to go and live in Swaziland in order to, to carry out this ministry. And I was a little taken aback. I, I wasn't sure how to respond because I was, I delighted in our life in Swaziland. It was a simple life for sure. 
Sometimes the power would go off in the evenings, and uh, we didn't have m- m- so many of the comforts that you have, whether it's the, the, the prepared foods that you cooked, you did everything from scratch, um, houses, furniture, all that was very simple. But it was a very simple pace of life. And it was a wonderful place then in that setting to raise our kids. And, and they got to experience things. They got to chase elephants and, and rhinoceroses that most kids don't get to. These are wonderful opportunities. What a great way to grow up. And you're thinking, what? No, no, it was in a car, okay? Actually, we were being chased some of those times. But wonderful experiences. How many of you have had them? See? So, so, but to, so to me, I was being thanked for sacrifices that to me I was, I was, I was wonderfully content in. And yet I must confess, I've visited, Swazi, or I've visited Zimbabwe where our daughter and her, her, her family live. And, and over a couple of long visits, several week visits in Zimbabwe, we're camping and we feel like, I don't mean that we're off in a tent somewhere, but life is camping. Life feels like camping, and I, I don't want to live like this. I, I, I'm ready to come home to comfort by the, by the time those several weeks are up. I marvel at how well our daughter does in that situation. She's, she's a good missionary. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be content. Now, why was I then and not now? Maybe it's because that was our calling. And when God called us to that, there was a confidence in Him that brought contentment in that circumstance, even though it wasn't perfect. And somebody outside would, would, would see the difficulties of it. And yet God gave us a contentment in it that came out of His calling. I cannot read Psalm 16 without thinking of Pastor Matham. Now, you don't know Pastor Matham. He was, when we were in Swaziland, he was previously, several years earlier, a pastor of our church there in, in Manzini, the Evangelical Bible Church. He came back a couple years after we were there. He came back to the church to visit. It had been a year since one night, in the middle of the night, he woke up. His wife was making some sounds of discomfort next to him. And he woke up to her dying in bed next to him. They were in their, I would say, late 40s. It was completely unexpected. She had no conditions that anticipated anything like this. And it had been a year since that loss. They had an 18-year-old daughter, and two twin boys who I think were at this time now 14 or 15. And he was left with the children alone without her. And a year later, he came back and visited his former church, and he was so loved as a pastor there. And he opened the word to us, and he shared from Psalm 16. And he said, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful, a good inheritance. There's a confidence in the Lord there, a trust in Him for His portion. Where do you have trouble being content in present circumstances? 
This would be a good question for you to, to poke at together in your small group this week. Where do you have trouble being content in the truly difficult and not right situations and circumstances that you find yourself in? How do you work that balance so that how long, O oh Lord, is not frustrated impatience, but actually can be contentment that flows out of confidence? I bless the Lord, verse 7, who gives me counsel. And in, my, in the night also my heart instructs me. That see, those, two, those parallel statements seem to suggest to us that he has reflected on God's word, God's truth through the day, and so it echoes back into his mind at night. At night when it's dark, at night when he's most vulnerable, at night when he couldn't see the danger approaching, and he rehearses those truths, he rehearses God's counsel. So we rehearse our inheritance, our identity, our lot in God's purposes. It's not only what we presently see, although God is working in the present. God is working his redemptive purposes even in what is going on currently. But our identity and our full reality, both now and in the future, is what God says concerning us and our relationship to him. And so we will be instructed by God's counsel. We'll remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. This is Ephesians 2 truth. That, that our, our position and our circumstances, that our identity is the foundation of everything that we do. What God has said to be true about us instruct us in the current situations and circumstances in life. One of the things that David keeps focused in his heart so that his heart instructs him even in the middle of the night how he sets the Lord always before him, how he determines, I'm going to remember the faithfulness of my Lord. I'm going to remember Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, when I do not yet see that which he promised me. David's been anointed as king. And Saul's still on the throne. And David will not strike him down himself. David will not take this into his own hands. Why? Because he trusts God. For God to do according to his counsels. One of the things that David keeps focused in his heart is confidence in the Lord even concerning his own death. Look at verse 9, 10, and 11. We, like David, find our present joy in God's eternal restoration. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh, my mortal life also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the third reason that David is not anxious. He calls on the Lord. He is content in God's good because he is confident in God's eternal purposes. Indeed, if God holds my life, what can man do to me? That's David's confidence. Now, the language of verse 10 
is pregnant with me. I love one author's comment on this verse. I quote, The language of verse 10 is pregnant with meaning that comes to full term in Jesus' resurrection. Now, did David already see the Messiah's resurrection here? Or does he, as a prophet, speak even more than he fully realizes? I don't know. We do know that that, uh, both Peter and Paul unpack, they interpret by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Spirit, they interpret verse 10 as David referring to the Messiah. David's confidence that God will not abandon him Maybe David's confident that God is going to protect his life in the present circumstances because he's got chapter and verse on that. He's been anointed as king. God will set him on his throne. So Saul isn't going to capture him. Saul is not going to kill him. He does not need to fear. He has God's promise, and he can rest in that. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Well, sooner or later, David will go to the place of the dead. Sooner or later, in fact, Peter and Paul make the comment that, yes, David does go to the place of the dead, that that David's body does undergo corruption. David is saying more than his own security in life then. When when, when Peter in Acts chapter 2 quotes this, this passage, And then he interprets it from verse 29 of Acts 2. Brothers, I must say with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So Peter applies those verses to Jesus as Messiah. Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 35, he quotes the psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep. He died, but it's temporary death. He'll be raised. He fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, Paul says. But he whom God raised up, Jesus, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, raised from the dead, not seen corruption, God's Messiah, forgiveness of sins, through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, Jesus, Everyone who believes is freed. Freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. We could not be freed from our guilt. We could not be freed from our sin by keeping any measure of laws or standards or list of good. We could not measure up. The problem is never with God's law. God's law is good. The law of Moses did not have fault. The weakness is in us. We could not keep it. We could not free ourselves from our own guilt, from our own sin, by the law of Moses, but he has freed us by forgiveness in Jesus. 
because Jesus goes into death for us. But he is raised from the dead because he bears our sin in his own body on the tree and goes into death with our sin. Because our sin now separates Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead. God himself is separated because Jesus bears our sin and sin separates him from God. It's the only thing that can. And then he is raised up and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Why? Because our sin has been fully put away in his death for us. So the one who believes, there's Paul's only condition. Everyone, anyone, all of you who believe are freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses, restored into right relationship with God. Do you have that hope? Do you have that confidence that ultimately answers every fear or threat, no matter what diagnosis or disease, that the Lord is with me, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I fear not even death itself. Now, for sure, we we grieve the separation. Let's pause in our message for one more promotional announcement. Grief share is coming up. This support group that is intended to help walk with people in the midst of the very real grief of very real loss. And I mentioned that this morning because some of you, some of you need that. But more of you probably know somebody that needs that. And what they probably need is get a call from you and say, hey, our church has this grief share group for 12 weeks. Would you go with me? I think it could be very helpful in you taking the next steps in the loss that you've endured. Grief is very real. The separation that death will cause. And yet, we can be content even in this passing, temporary, present weakness. You see, Paul could say confidently to the Philippians in chapter 1 that for me to depart, to die, and to be with Christ, well, that is far better that in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures for any more. Paul says to depart, to leave, to leave Roman imprisonment and the threats behind, yeah, that would be better. And yet to stay, to remain, is more needful for the churches, Paul says. And so he thought he'd probably be staying. He thought that was probably God's will, and he was content in what God would have for him, knowing that ultimately, whatever the delay, ultimately, pleasures at God's right hand were his destiny. Future. In his presence is what we need to cultivate contentment while we stay and wait. The confidence of our future in his presence strengthens us to cultivate contentment while we stay, while we wait. We find present joy in God's eternal restoration. Therefore, therefore we can say that we are content in God's present provisions, even as we call on him 
for the needs that we face. God has secured my eternity in Jesus. Even as we prayed together as a church, we dare to ask all of these things. We call upon him only because of Jesus. That's what we mean when we say, in Jesus' name. God has secured my eternity with him so I can rest in him and his promises in the present when they're not yet realized. And I can call on him knowing that he loves me. Not believing the lie that the present realities must show that God doesn't care. No, I can be content in the present knowing God's promise. I can be content in the present knowing his eternal preservation. And that contentment and confidence in the present gives me the confidence that I need to call on him. On him who loves me. On him who hears me. Let's do that. Father, we do trust ourselves to you. Lord, across this congregation, across this church body this morning, there are many needs. There are things that aren't right. There are hurts in life because of our own weaknesses and the weaknesses of others. Lord, sin causes conflict. Selfishness hurts. Just the Weakness in our mortality brings pain, hardship, and suffering that we long for you to bring relief from. Father, we do cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? We do long for your presence where there is fullness of joy. And yet, Lord, would you use that confidence? to strengthen our contentment in the presence. That even as Paul said that to depart would be better, to be in your presence, hard to stay away, and yet we're willing to follow your lead, even in the present, through whatever trials, that there perhaps others would see our confidence in you, others would hear our desperate call and prayer to you, and they might be pointed to you by that, that others would see you because of our need, even as we see something more about you in your word this morning because of David's need. So, Lord, don't ever allow our contentment to keep us from praying, to be satisfied in status quo, that it is what it is. Father, with hearts longing for your future, we call upon you today for our needs and the needs of others because we know you are with us and that your portion for us is good in your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>